Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. Here we are after the... 1-0 victory over Brighton that sends Fulham to 6th place in the Premier League after 24 games. I can't believe we're saying that, but we are here to join me to discuss the game and talk through some of his favourite tweets as well from last night. Elton, how are we going? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Looking forward to this. It, it really is one. I know beforehand we were expecting an exciting game. I don't think it was quite the game we were expecting in the end. What were your thoughts you know, we were spruiking it as, you know, a great one for the, the neutrals to watch. It's going to be really even between two exciting sides. Did it pan out the way we expected? No, not at all. But then again, we shouldn't probably be surprised. Uh, it was a difficult game. Um, mm. I thought we were really tested. We had to work very hard. We had to dig very deep. But in the end, um, we we've pulled off a really great grab here and I think there's a there's a lot to be, be be proud of and a lot to recognize in all of that yeah absolutely uh, I think like you said it, it wasn't the game we expected we we were sort of hoping for this free-flowing attacking game with both teams pushing forward and it, it really wasn't like that at all when you consider Fulham were basically on the back foot from the off um, I think in the first seven minutes of the game Brighton had couple of really good chances. Solly Marsh, I remember shooting just wide. Um, and they just looked, I mean, they looked really good. You kind of have to hand it to Brighton and just say they looked a really good side. Yeah, I thought they, I wouldn't say worked us over, but they'd done their homework. They're a smart side. No massive superstars, but they're just really well organized. Quite similar to us in the way mm. they come out of defence and in many ways quite similar to us um, up and down the pitch. But I thought that they they were definitely on top for certainly the first, much of the first half. And I, I suspect that we probably made it look worse than it actually was for us. I think there was a clear plan in terms of um, uh, how we would approach possession and actually standing off and not diving in and not pressing them too hard. They seem to be able to play out of defence very easily, which was mm. um, a little bit frustrating to watch. But I, I suspect that there was something of a plan in all of that and not actually uh, kind of diving in, pressing them hard mm. and then exposing ourselves in midfield. And I, I, it just felt like the, it, it wasn't that we were found wanting, but there was a, a clear thought process there. Yeah, they they really do pass out of defence well. And I know that's something that we like to do, but they really showed how to do it. Of The amount of times they pass the ball around a couple of times between the defenders, we'd be pressing. Not, I don't think we pressed brilliantly in the first half. We'll get on to how, how things changed at half time, but... 
definitely in the first half, they just seemed to get out of defence so quickly and so effort, effortlessly as well. Um, just able to move the ball in really neat triangles and then release someone in midfield who found space. And then they'd have players bombing forward at all times. And they just looked really dangerous um, right from the off. So, you know, yeah. we, we definitely did look on the back foot. And I think we struggled to settle for basically the whole first half. Um, Fulham were probably lucky to actually go in at half time, nil-nil. Let's actually wind back a little bit and, and talk about one of the biggest talking points, I guess, pre-match, which um, we we tweeted out just before the team lineup actually got announced. Um, Mitrovic missing out. He picked up a niggle in the warm-up against Nottingham Forest but played through it. He was um, – I don't know if he was rested or if he was um, – yeah, not sure if it was rested or if it was kind of sh- um, that he just couldn't play. But uh, no Vinicius in the starting lineup. Was that something that you expected? Well, I remember having that conversation with you uh, as to w- what kind of message does that send to Vinicius. Um, firstly, on whether Mitro was tactically rested. I, I don't think a six-pointer of six versus seventh, you're not going to rest your your talisman. Mm. Um, he must have been, you know, he, he must be carrying a, 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 um, some level of seriousness. That injury is not, not trivial. And I think they're, they're thinking we've got to nurse him through this and we're not going to take any chances. And he, mm. he, he doesn't, doesn't feature at all. I think the the choice of Bobby Decadova Reed up front over Vinicius was definitely interesting, and mm. I, I I think didn't really work very well. Um, no disrespect to Bobby, he's been asked to play yet another role, which he he gave it a decent crack, but he's mm. I felt that. He, you know, he's not a striker, but he was trying to play as a striker and he yeah. was trying to take the ball with his back to the goal. And, and he was just completely out-muscled by two very, very mobile and large defenders. Mm. And he, he didn't stand a chance if the ball came to him in the air. He had absolutely no chance at all. And the only way he was going to have an impact would be at the ball at his feet or, or, or linking up with some sort of play. And it, there didn't seem to be that happening for him. So I felt very sorry for him, actually, in that role because um, not only did it badly destabilise uh, us in midfield, uh, out wide, and it gave you an insight also into how important Bobby is to Kenny Tete playing really well mm-hmm. and being really effective. And him not being out there on the right, as we discussed uh, at length while we were watching the game, is probably a bigger factor than Mitro missing. Yeah, there's a couple of things to unpack there, I guess. Firstly is, you know, we saw early in the season when uh, Mbabu was effectively dropped and we we preferred BDR playing at right back than Mbabu. It, it does send quite a quite a harsh message, I guess, to the player in that position just saying, I, I don't have faith in you. I'm playing someone out of position rather than playing you. Um, and I think that that message 
probably got sent a little bit to Vinicius last night where he 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 should be the obvious choice coming in behind Mitra. He's the backup striker. Um, but we've actually gone with something completely different. And I'm sure there was a reason for it. And, and I'm thinking um, it, we probably saw this as a, a fast-paced counter-attacking opportunity for us here. I think maybe Silva was thinking if we have BDR up front, we've got a bit more... Bit more nip about us up up top, and maybe that's what he was going for. But the biggest issue that I saw was we didn't play as if we had a small forward. We played as Correct. if Mitro was still up front, and we Correct. were pumping long balls into BDR. And he's got Duncan Webster, who are both six three, six four, six five, and you know must be twice the weight of Bobby as well. Um, he he just never had a chance, and. I found we really struggled to hold possession last night, and I think a big part of that was we didn't adapt to the actual team lineup we had out there. We we weren't playing a game that benefited the lineup that we had. And so I I think we really struggled to get a foothold of the game in the first half, especially because we just weren't playing for the team that we had out there. I agree. I do agree. Um, But but I also think that... Sorry. No, no, go the, ahead, go ahead. The um, not having our very high-functioning wingers in place, we've talked about this so many times, but it's amazing. I don't want to use the word fine margins, but it's amazing how fine tinkering with the system and players in those positions really does upset us. And we, we, we look half the unit when we don't have the right players in those positions. And <clears throat> look, we, we had no choice. We had an injury and we had to deal with that. But like you say, not having, not selecting Vinicius for that target man role um, meant we had to move Bobby out of position. And for me, that didn't work. And we were very lucky to go in at half time because I, I thought they were pretty wasteful, actually, for the number of opportunities they had. They, they really could have scored a number of times. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because I, that was something as we were sitting together last night watching the game, the, the amount of times we were just looking at it going, geez, they, they are just wasteful. They, the opportunities that they were getting were really good ones. I think towards the end of the game, uh, there was one point, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was um, the German striker who came on, Undav. Um, he had a header from about four yards out, completely unmarked gets no power behind it, rushes it straight at the keeper. There's another one. Cross came in. McAllister probably should have gone for a glancing header. Instead, he tries to volley it, takes all the power off it, straight at the keeper. I don't think Leno had to actually dive to make a save all night. And I'm not sure exactly how many saves he made, but it was was probably in double figures. Uh, And it, it just shows that Brighton really actually struggled to get the ball on target. And when they did get the ball on target, they weren't going for the corners at all. They, it seemed like they were just thinking, if we shoot, we'll probably score. And I think when you dominate a team as much as Brighton did dominate us last night, you probably do think that a little bit and go, well, we're playing so well, the chances are going to come. They're going to keep coming. We'll just keep taking shots. And we saw it in the Man City game that um, that, that that happened last night as well. They drew with Nottingham Forest. I think they had 24 or, or more shots on goal. 
and they only scored one and they were incredibly wasteful and and Brighton looked similar last night um so look we we all know what happened in the end um Manor Solomon man of the moment uh comes on as a sub dad did you think he should have come on a little bit earlier um we always I, I we always think exactly. Manor Solomon should come on earlier we always do well, yeah the, and- the start of the game is when we always think he should come on <laughs> but 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 about that i mean um he's clearly his best position from Silver's perspective, and arguably mm-hmm. it's the right view, is on the left. And and with William's current form, how do you how do you drop William? Yeah, of course. Um, of course. So what does that mean? You you give you let him come on instead of Bobby? I, I guess it's a possibility, but I think the link up between Bobby and Kenny has really been incredibly instrumental. Uh, in in some of our best performance in, in in being the heart of some of our best performances this year, so I wouldn't be ripping that one up too quickly either. So well, it's a lovely problem to have, and I feel a little bit sol- sorry for Mana Solomon, and that he clearly is probably getting pretty antsy about not getting a start, scoring two games off the bench in not a lot of minutes, and um, I mean to be fair, yeah. the, the previous game William was incredible. Uh, I had a quiet I mean, night last night. We 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 talk about how how good Willian is, and and yes, it, it is obvious that Marco Silva sees Solomon as a left winger as well as Willian, um, and so he's sitting behind Willian in the pecking order. But at the same time, uh, Silva played Decadover Reed as a striker last night, um, so he he obviously is okay with playing people out of position. Um, a right winger to play on the left wing or a left winger to play on the right wing shouldn't be that impossible, especially for guys as talented as as Willian and as Solomon. They, they obviously have the capacity to do that. And during a game, these guys swap wings quite regularly. And it, it just seemed like the, the fact is Pereira got taken off. Um, BDR went central at that point and Solomon went out to the left, and William went out to the right. So you had a complete mix-up from where we started the game as well. Um, and, and so it just confuses me a little bit as to why we didn't just start Solomon when he's obviously a more talented player than Wilson, and that's nothing against Wilson. I think he didn't have a great game last night, but we we didn't really have the possession to give him the opportunity to have a good game either. Um, it just feels mm. like... I know I know we watched the Solomon's little post-match interview as well, um, and he said, you know, he is coming back from uh, a pretty bad injury. He's only been training for two months, so he's not fully fit, and maybe he's admitting that as well. But he did say, I want to be playing. I want to be out there, and I want to be starting matches. Um, I, I can't see a reason why – well, I can – obviously there are reasons why Silver's not doing that, but – He's knocking on the door now. He's come on and played what I think he was only on for five minutes when he scored the goal against Nottingham Forest. And he came on in the 82nd minute and scored in the 88th minute here. So six minutes. So, I mean, he's coming off the bench and making instant impacts. Wouldn't you love a player like that starting from the off? The the mind boggles as to what that could actually result in. And the more I think about it, uh, you know, William William is incredibly comfortable on both feet and mm. his movement is that good. I don't 
see him as being in any way restricted if he started on the right and Solomon started on the left. And then, you know, Bobby potentially comes in as, as a replacement for a tired William. And maybe that requires Man of Solomon to be able to complete 90 minutes. And maybe that's a question mark that we are not fully on top of, or we're not privy to, you know, his real level of fitness to play 90 minutes. And maybe Silver and the team are obviously much more um, in a much better position to judge that. Maybe that's a factor. He looks good, but maybe he's, he's being beautifully reintroduced because he can have an impact for 20 or 30 minutes at the moment. He might struggle for 90. I don't know. don't know. Do you, do you think with the lineup that Silver put out there and the way he sort of managed this game, do you think Silver would have been happy with, with a point or maybe have even accepted a loss against a team who I know they're below us, but they do have two games in hand over us. So realistically, they're going to be above us fairly soon. Do you think Silver almost wrote this one off as, call it a free hit. I know we don't like calling things free hits anymore, but um, maybe he, he took the foot off the pedal a little bit for this game, which is why he didn't risk Solomon, didn't risk Mitrovic, and, and maybe went a little bit more conservative in his team selection because of that? I, I absolutely don't believe that. I think it's in his nature. I think he's really aggressive. And mm. I think... Psychologically, this is such a big moment for us, this game. Um, I think he understands the momentum that this win provides. And I I don't think he throws a game like this. He might, you know, if we had Leeds followed by Arsenal followed and, and it was a semi-final FA Cup game, that was really well yeah. worth winning. And you've got Arsenal on Saturday. Sure, mm. I could see that possibly creeping in because he would simply go, in all practicality, as much as I want to win both of these games, I simply don't have the firepower and the depth to do it. Something's got to give. And let's yeah. let's try and get to the FA Cup final, for example. I don't think sure. that, I think this game was way too important to win for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, Mitro being injured. And I think Mitro's injury comes on the back of perhaps a concern generally about how Mitro's travelling and maybe a bit of a rest could be a good thing for Mitro rather than mm-hmm. him having successive ordinary performances which starts to get into his head a little bit. Give him a chance to rest up, be fully, fully fit and really firing. So... Yeah, you know what I, you know where I'm going. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably fair. It's an interesting point you make about Leeds as well. Um, I know you, it was a bit of a throwaway comment, but it just reminded me of uh, of something. And I can't remember exactly where I saw it. It might have been on Twitter. It might have been floating around elsewhere. But um, Leeds last night, um, well, they're, they're very much in a relegation dogfight now, currently sitting 19th. Um, Southampton winning last night actually means they're only one point behind Leeds as well. Um, so Leeds not looking in a great position at the moment, and we do play them in the next round of the FA Cup. Um, they've got a massive game uh, on Saturday against Southampton, um, so the bottom two teams playing against each other. Uh, and then they come to Fulham after that for the FA Cup game on the Tuesday. Um, it, it, it was a game we were sort of 
looking at and going, right, do we put out a full team against Leeds? How, how do we see this one happening? Um, and now it sort of looks like Leeds will have to be focusing on the Premier League because they're in such a precarious position. And um, after this Southampton game, they've got Chelsea, Brighton, Wolves and Arsenal as their next four. Um, and looking at those fixtures, I know Chelsea aren't in great form at the moment, but there's a high possibility that they won't be picking up any points from those four games. They might pick up points against Wolves, but um, you know they've got a tough run there. So it's, it's very possible that with Leeds, we actually see them put out a reserve side completely to preserve their Premier League players because they can't afford a cup run at this stage. If they lose someone to injury or someone's not fully fit or, or not quite on it, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because they, yeah, they can't afford to lose a key player. I mean, you'd think... You know, having made it this far with a very difficult and challenging season, they would be it would be tantalizing to have a a, a, a cup run and, and actually really make it to the very late stages. Although their chances of winning are very unlikely. So, you know, no one remembers that you got to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. If you don't win it and get relegated, that's worth nothing. Right? Exactly, so and, you, and the, the threat you're, you're of relegation right. financially, especially. Oh, that's that's huge. It's huge. Yeah, you know, it, because it's not worth you, the cup run at that point. I'd say no, and and also I think if you've if you've had to throw so much into a game a few days earlier, for example, the upcoming game on Saturday, I think it it requires such a lot of emotional energy and focus for mm -hmm. the whole club. It drains you. And oh, it absolutely. could end up being a very, very hard-fought game as well, which actually is really tough on the whole squad. And then you come to Fulham. Um, very hard, very, very difficult. So these things are really finely balanced, aren't they? Uh, um, mm. And you have to the, – the, the situation you find yourself in for every one of these challenges is difficult to predict. And <clears throat> it's very much a – it's sort of a week-to-week -week situation. And, you know, if we if we copped a couple of really nasty injuries in training, on the training ground or whatever, no matter how much you'd love a cup run and, and, and feel like this is really our moment to progress, it would be really difficult to throw the kitchen sink at it. I mean, I think if we were in the position that Leeds are in at the moment, I would be hoping that the manager puts out a reserve side. I'd be... I'd be you know, I, I think a cup run at this point is actually a, just a complete distraction. You need you guys to be focused on staying in the Premier League. And I, I don't think the cup is the right thing to do for Leeds at the moment. Considering the run they've got after that as well, they're, they're, there's a very high possibility that Leeds could go on a run of six or seven games without a without a point. And that's that just confirms your relegation at that point because you're going to be 32, oh, no, maybe not that many, sorry, about 30 games played with 19 points needing, f I mean, about 36 for survival. So you need to win five of your last eight games. And, you know, the Premier League is so tight that that's going to be a big ask for them. So, I I, I mean, we, we veered off on onto a completely different topic there. But I, I think it's actually opened up a few doors for us and a bit of a bit of an easier path. And I think we, we might see that with a few of the other teams in the, in the FA Cup as well. Man City, for example do often put out more of a reserve side. And the fact that they're chasing down the Premier League title in what's looking like quite a tight race with Arsenal now, there's a possibility that they ease off a little bit as well and there's a few upsets on the cards. So 
um, it's it does feel like a good season for us to go on a cup run because we we are so comfortable. You know, I think we'd all be pretty pretty happy if we finished ninth or tenth or even eleventh this season. It would feel like a bit of a disappointment, maybe, but um, we, we're so safe that it does feel like a year that you could go to the FA Cup final and put in a really good effort and see what happens. Um, anyway, let's have I a think look. What, what, just on, as a sorry. final point on that, I think as we progress and let, let's assume we continue to be successful, it, it basically demands that we are having to put out our best side when we do mm. play these cup fixtures. And that just that will pressurise us a lot in terms of just just, you know, wearing out the squad as we continue to have to you know, play important fixtures in the Premier League, plus meet better and better teams. And even if yeah, Man United had four second-team players or, or bench players in their squad, sorry, Man, Man City, it still makes them very tough opposition in a must-win game, which is a, a, a cup knockout game. Yeah, I, I mean, at the same in the same breath, I would be comfortable with us playing, for example, Rodak instead of Leno. Lukic in for Reed, um, Solomon in for Willian, Wilson on the wing instead of Deckard over Reed, maybe Vinicius up front instead of Mitro, and actually putting in a few changes and still feeling quite comfortable. You know, bring Kenny in for Pereira or something along those lines. And I'd actually still feel like we're putting out a strong enough team whilst giving a bit of rotation to to rest some of those guys and save them. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to discussing that one. That's uh, only a couple of I weeks away until we play that one, but we're a little bit ahead. I of think ourselves. if I think if we get through Leeds, we're, we're very close to the point where on, only our top eleven guarantees a way through. Really, well, it, it really just depends on the draw. You pick up a, you play against one of those championship sides, or I think there's the possibility of a League One, League Two side still making it through. Mm. Uh, you get an easy draw. Uh, and obviously no draw is easy in a knockout competition, but you get an easier draw, there's a high possibility that, you know, you, you see some of the runs that teams have when they get to finals and they, they you know, come up against one, maybe two Premier League teams in the whole draw. Um, so it's, it is the luck of the draw, and I guess that's what makes the FA Cup great is that um, it does offer opportunities for smaller clubs to make it all the way through because you just get lucky. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll, that, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I, I would. I, I think I'm already approaching the point where uh, Leno plays every game going forward. Possibly, but I think for a cup game, Rodak's going to play almost every single time, and, and I'm okay with that. I, I still think Rodak is a, is a. I, I reckon Rodak would have saved every single one of those shots last night. Um, there, there was there was nothing that really tested Leno. He made a lot of good saves, but any keeper should be making those saves. The reason he got man of the match was because he's just so solid that he made every single one of those look very, very comfortable. Uh, but I genuinely think a lot of those were very comfortable saves to make in the first place. Um, the most he was tested was probably by the free kick in the very last minute of the game, um, where which was basically, I think it was the last kick of the game. That was the only time that really it looked like it could have been a goal. Fortunately, it went wide, but... Um, he didn't really have to dive for anything for the whole game. Um, so I'd be comfortable with Rodak, especially in the cup games. Um, I, I, you know, I think if you get to a final, you probably do play Leno. But on the way there, Rodak's your man. Um, let's have a quick look at some of the stats from the game. 
just pulled out a couple important ones here, I guess. Possession, Brighton dominated. It was much higher than that as well during the first half. Fulham really did get themselves back into it. Uh, it felt like it was about 80% to 20%, if not slightly more, for probably the first half hour or so. Um, Brighton with 21 shots uh, to Fulham's five. Seven of Brighton's were on target uh, to Fulham's two. Uh, Ten corners to Brighton. Fulham only had two for the game. Uh, fouls. Fulham had 14 fouls. Brighton had 12. An interesting stat I've included here this time. Uh, Fulham, five yellow cards. Brighton, no yellow cards, which I was incredibly surprised by because there were uh, those 12 fouls by Brighton were probably um, committed by about three or four players. Caicedo mm-hmm. particularly made mm-hmm. quite a few bad challenges and really got away with a few. Um, and he was pretty uh, gobby Fulham, as well. Uh, he, he was getting yeah. pretty fired up. For Fulham to pick up five yellow cards, uh, I think seemed excessive. The yellow card for Polina was just ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. The a really good challenge, and I, I don't know why why that was given. The Issa Diop yellow card was also very harsh. That was the one where he came sort of came through the back of McAllister, but um, a replay showed that he actually got the majority of the ball there. Um, Anthony Robinson got given a yellow card, I think, for time wasting, or it might have been for um, no, no, he uh, the ball he went out the ball from a throw in. Yeah, yeah, he, he thought he was convinced it was out throwing. Mm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but um, yeah, either way, picked up a yellow card there. Um, uh, who else? Willie Ann picked up a yellow card. I actually don't remember what that one was for. Um, and Vinicius picked up a yellow card for, I guess, a, a professional foul towards the end of the game. Oh, it was the push, no, it wasn't, wasn't it? It was a kid. No, it was a king hit. He just whacked. Yeah, the guy. Just, I can't remember who it was. He whacked him in the back of the head. And very frustrated. Uh, you know, kind of a a lot of yeah. people um, quite annoyed at Vinicius and saying he was playing really poorly. I actually, um, I actually really enjoyed Vinicius's little cameo. I think we really were missing some physicality up front. And when he came on, admittedly, he didn't have the ball that often. He, his control wasn't ideal, but he at least he he worried the defenders a bit. I think the Dunk and um, Webster just looked so comfortable for the whole game yesterday. But when Vinicius came on, they started getting a bit, bit jumpy. And I think that's what we were missing, um, was just a bit of presence up top. Uh, and when he came on, it did make quite a big difference, I thought. Uh, and I know he's not the best passer. He's not the best with his first touch. His finishing isn't quite there. But I think he did a job last night. And, you know, we'll move on and talk about the goal itself. Um, let's have a quick look at the Manor Solomon goal. I'll pull it up on the live stream now. People listening along on the podcast, here's the commentary. Now, but he and Buonanotte perhaps took it off each other. Vinicius has squeezed it through. Could this be a chance for Solomon? Astonishing! In the 88th minute, Manuel Solomon off the bench has crashed it in. And could that be three precious points on the road for Fulham? What a finish! Well, the introduction at the centre forward who hasn't done a lot, Vinicius, since he came on, certainly helped here. He sucked in all the Brighton defenders, released Solomon, but what a strike, Gary. 
He kind of hesitated into his run and had steadied himself and steadied himself really well. A couple of giveaways there from Fulham and then Brighton. Ream into Vinicius. He holds off a couple of defenders. Free Solomon. Watch this for a strike. That is a fabulous strike across Sanchez. He's not got the length for the body to get or his arm out there to get it. But this is a great, great finish. We mentioned how good he was, but what a finish. Puts it right in the side netting on the far side. Sanchez had little chance, but the pace on the strike and the run, absolutely brilliant. I played that for a bit longer than we usually would when we do one of these, but I, I really thought it's worth listening to listening to some of the comments there about, you know, Fulham kind of gave the ball away a couple of times there. Um, and we just managed to win the ball back. Fortunately, Tim Ream gets in there first before the Brighton players do. Puts in a really good ball forward, which he'd done a couple of times during the game, actually, as well, where he pushes the ball back into the midfield and just sort of seems to split the line really perfectly and finds the pass. Um, he did that to get us out of trouble a couple of times during the game. Um, he, he finds Vinicius. Vinicius... It's probably his best touch of the whole game. That first touch, he just shields the ball as the Brighton defender sort of dives in a little recklessly there, I thought, um, and then picks the pass really well. And he'd made a pass similar to that a couple of times during the game as well. I don't know if you remember. A few times he'd spread the ball wide with his back to goal. Um, and he found Solomon perfectly running through. And Solomon, the first touch, I know you said it at the time, it looked a little bit heavy. Um but it actually turned out perfectly because he, I, I actually thought at first he'd taken a couple of touches. Um, but when you watch the replay, Vinicius plays the ball through to him. His first touch takes the ball into the box and then he just basically gets his feet right and strikes it. He doesn't take another touch after that first one, um, which is kind of crazy to think about considering he picked it up on almost the halfway line. He's taken one touch before he takes a shot. Um and what a shot it was as well, zipping along the along the surface into the far corner. They say the keeper couldn't have done much about it. I think the keeper probably should going across him there. It's got to. It was a good strike, but it's got to be a really good strike to score from there. And I don't think it was. Well, it didn't seem exceptional, um, but a, a really good finish from Solomon, and just great for for the guy to get his second goal in two games. That's just confidence through the roof. And you know, we were talking about it as well, Fulham. Um, in recent years, well, in recent years in the Premier League, haven't managed to grind out those wins. But this year we're really starting to get results and doing it ugly, where you're not on top for the whole game, but you do nick it at the end because you work hard throughout the whole game. You create chances, and when you do create a chance, if it's only a handful of chances during the game, at least you actually put it away and, and make the most of it. Um Dad, your your thoughts on that goal? I know you could probably talk about it for another hour or so. Um, walk me through. I mean, we were sitting next to each other when it happened. I, I'm interested to go back to your description of how, how you thought. That he... His physicality was very, very, very good, and it is. And he was doing the centre-forward job that Bobby couldn't do, no disrespect again. Mm. So that was really, really good. 
he's it always seems that the ball's a bit behind him, but is that because he doesn't quite time or make his run properly? I'm not sure about it all yet, but he 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 certainly doesn't end up in good places in in fast attacking moves to finish to finish and score goals. It's not happening, right? Mm. Um, but I, having said all of that, I, I like the guy. I like what he represents. I love his energy. I think players like him and like playing with him. And um, what you cannot deny is that he's been instrumental in a couple of really, really good assists um, yeah. this season. Now, yeah. I know that that's not going to be good enough, but he, his, his, his vision and the speed at which he reacted to that loose ball spilling out when he had a couple of plays on him, to know that Solomon was there, to push it out wide, to set it up, was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, mm. and then top, top shelf. So um, if he comes on for 15 minutes and does that and nothing more, he's a hero. <clears throat> Right, because he's uh, been part of been part of something really brilliant there, and it's funny. I, 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 you know, I'm not technical enough to understand and pull apart why it's not quite working for him. I don't know if he's just not experienced enough, but I think I think he's got really great potential. He's he's, he's physically he's he's an absolute unit. I have mm. no doubt that he's got really good skills. But I'm not quite sure what it is that's not quite working for him to have the same kind of impact on from a goal scoring from open play perspective compared to someone like Mitro, right? Um, but wow, that was, I mean, just what the doctor ordered and really quite brilliant. And I think he's got to be given high, high praise and a load of credit for his part in that goal. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's it's an interesting one, and you talk about how he, he looks like he's just slightly off it. And I think there's a couple of things there. I think the team plays in a very particular way that suits the style of Mitrovic. Um, and I, I think Vinicius just doesn't have the same movement as as Mitro does. The, the, there are a couple of times where the ball goes into the box and he's just set off on his run a little earlier than Mitro would have done. And so the ball that we're putting in the box is just behind him. And I don't think you uh, you can probably blame him a little bit, but it's it's probably in part that we are not playing for Vinicius um, and Vinicius isn't playing in the same way that Mitrovic plays. So the, the two, the team itself and Vinicius need to sort of come together and meet in the middle a little bit when he's playing, I think, because we... We play as if Mitro's there, but Mitro's not there, and Vinicius isn't Mitro, and so we do fall into mm. these little little periods where we're just not getting him the ball properly because we we're playing as if the guy is is Mitro and he's not. Um, so I think it's, it's yeah. interesting. Interesting that Jack, I saw a, a really great piece which I saved on TikTok, and it was an interview with Thierry Henry, and he was mm -hmm. talking about. Um, Obviously, when he was playing with, um, um, I can't remember who the, the, the two guys he was referring to. It doesn't matter, but he was he was actually it was a reference to Harland and how um, 
Haaland goes through patches where he, he just doesn't score at all and doesn't seem to feature greatly in games. And he, he, he talked about how the manager said to him that he needs to find a way to bring out the best in players that are serving him because they're all different. They all work differently. They all yeah. um, feed him differently. And he's got to actually make different runs depending on who's got the ball. And I think maybe Mitro is actually just that that's that little secret ingredient experience, but it's also that little magic that players just innately know how to do that. And maybe yeah. he's just making the same same run, whether uh, you know, whether Williams got the ball or whether BDR's got the ball or Pereira's got the ball. He's making the same mm-hmm. run. And um yeah. and and maybe that's the difference. Anyway, we're off topic, but uh it is interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So let's have a look at the league table as it stands. Um, a couple of interesting results, actually, in the in the top 10. We saw Arsenal pull off a, a late victory to go back to top of the league. Man City had a chance to go level on points and top on goal difference, um, but they drew one all with Nottingham Forest last night. Newcastle had just their second loss of the season uh, to Liverpool, who have jumped up a place as well. Um Brentford fell down a spot because they only managed to draw last night. Chelsea obviously lost to Southampton, so they're really dipping off at the moment. Um, and Spurs, I think, are playing tonight. So a few little changes there. The big one, obviously, Fulham jumping up above Brighton into sixth place, now on 38 points from 24 games. Dad, we, we sort of mention it every week, but where, where do you now see Fulham, after getting a result like that, how do you see Fulham actually finishing the season? Um, with 14 games to go now, um, what's the lowest we can slide? Considering we've, we, I know we have played a game more than every other team in that top 10 apart from Man City, but we're only three points off the Champions League spots at the moment, which is kind of crazy with only one game extra played. Um, uh, you know, we, we spoke last week about being pretty happy with finishing 10th, 11th. Should we be looking higher than that considering the results we're picking up? Everyone who's trying to be sensible, incredibly sensible and realistic and all of those very um, underwhelming kinds of psychological positions <laughs> is expecting that we can't possibly keep this up, that we have to run into some bad form, mm. start losing games that we shouldn't be losing. And on that basis we end up 9th, 10th, 11th. But by, by pure luck of averages that a few things have to go against us, we're going to start losing games that we shouldn't lose, et cetera, et cetera. That said, if we can keep this up and as we run into the back end of the season, it, it, it feels to me like where we're sitting right now could could actually be a realistic place that we end. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see why not. I mean, a lot's been made of the fact that we had quite a difficult February March. Um, you look at the teams we've had to play. We've obviously got Wolves still to play in February, which isn't one of the more difficult ones. But we've had Brighton, uh, Forest, who you know have been performing fairly well so far. Uh, Chelsea, Spurs, Newcastle. Uh, Chelsea again, uh, and Leicester. 
that's the sort of January, February that we've had, they're, they're pretty tough results. Uh, and we've got a very tough uh, March ahead where we do have to play Brentford, Arsenal and Liverpool. If you look at the table there, play, you know, 8th, 9th and 1st in a month, you would expect to, to struggle to pick up any points there. But after that, the April and May that we've got, we play Bournemouth, West Ham, Everton, Leeds and Aston Villa. That's a run of five fixtures where none of those teams are in the top 10. Um, and and most of them, I mean, Leeds are 19th, West Ham are 18th, um, Bournemouth are 17th. You know, we, we're looking at teams who are in the bottom five of the Premier League. There's a possibility that obviously it's it's unlikely to happen, but we could go on a run of five fixtures where we genuinely pick up 15 points. Admittedly, we do still have to play Man City and Man United to finish the season, but we've also got to play Leicester, Southampton and Crystal Palace in that time. So it's, it's we've actually so, got quite a good run coming up, apart from this this next little period in, in March, which is going to be quite tough for us. The run into the end of the season only sees us play Man City and Man United out of our last eight or nine games. This is, therefore, a question about whether we can be consistent in the last yeah. you know week, weeks of the of the the season and and one thing that you would say about this team this season is that we've been incredibly overall incredibly consistent you know and so barring injury or i, I don't know what else happens but it seems unlikely that we're suddenly going to go off into the wilderness and stop being consistent because that's one of the features of this team. It's not like yeah. we've come into the Premier Premier League, had a pretty ordinary season, and killed a couple of giants. It's not that's not what's happened here. Um, we've actually yeah, well, been very consistent on that point. As has been mentioned, we haven't really, barring the Chelsea win, we haven't had any massive giant killing victories this season. We haven't beaten any of the sides in the top five currently um we we've obviously picked up points against liverpool picked up points against chelsea but really the the basis for our performances this season and it kind of makes i know we we always weirdly talk about it but it, it makes sense we're six in the table so we're beating all the teams below us and that's what you need to do consistently to end up in a good position in the league outside of the top um well, outside of the top five, we've only lost one game, and that was to West Ham, where they had two goals, which were both handballs, and uh, one goal which seemed a mile offside on VAR as well. So that result could have been completely different. But the fact of the matter is we're, we're performing really, really well against teams that are genuinely mid-table Premier League teams. And so the teams below us, of the teams below us down to 10th place, the only one we, we're yet to play for the rest of the season is Liverpool, right? Um, uh, we've got to play Brentford got... as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, and Brentford. And, and obviously they're picking up points against other sides and they might pick up points against the top five sides. So there's, you know, there's, there's still a lot of parameters swirling around. But I, I am, I feel like if you compare... Um, if you compare 
the early part of the season where there was we were showing a lot of promise but not beating top sides. I feel like, um, you know, we, we might get lucky against one of those top five sides um, further, further on down the line. And I feel comfortable that we will we will manage um, sides in the bottom half of the table. I, I'm not I'm not concerned about it. So, in answer to your original question, it feels like you know where we are sitting right now is a very realistic target for us mm. to finish on. I, I don't see why not. And um, an interesting point made from Carl Tanner, who's following along on YouTube. Um, really wish we had the points from Wolves and Bournemouth. Yeah, obviously there was the missed penalty against Wolves, um, missed opportunity against Bournemouth. But you also look at the Man United game, the Man City game, the Arsenal game, the Liverpool game, where we considered Chelsea. late goals. Yeah, um, oh, sorry. No, no, where, where we actually genuinely should have mm. potentially got points out of it and we conceded in the yeah. last five minutes or an injury time to lose points. There's a high possibility if we'd picked up those points, we'd be probably third in the league at the moment and definitely in the Champions mm. League spots. Um, mm. So w- when we talk about fine margins, Scott Parker TM, um, we we really could be in a much better position and, and that's saying something considering how great our season's been so far that we we could be looking even further up the table if a few things had fallen our way this season. And I wouldn't say we're, we're getting a lot of luck this year either. We're just playing good football and, and earning it and deserving it every time we go out there. Um, it's consistently good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, let's let's move on from the game. Um, Dad, your top tweets from the last, I guess, 24 hours or so. Um, let's have a run through them. I'll pull up your first slide, uh, which is talking about Burnt Leno. Yeah, and uh, this is not an original thought, but it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to um, find a better man on ground last night. I know Jack commented on the fact that um, Rodak probably would have saved many of those. Mm. Bert Leno is incredibly safe, and some of those were blasted at fairly close range, straight at him, but nevertheless, you've still got to keep those out. And uh, I I thought he had a great game. And This is one from uh, Nigel Pritchard, and it says, Bert Leno, you certainly earned your money. What a game you played. Awesome. Thank you. Um, And then there's another one here from E.Zat. And he says, Leno, man of the match for me. Kept us in the game despite being tested numerous times. Diop and up, but credit to Silva. He's done some magic magic touch with our defence. We've only conceded three Premier League goals this year. That's a pretty great stat. Reminds me of solidly of Roy Hodgson's team but with extra flair up front. That's a pretty fine and uh, fair analysis, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, And I think um, I also read um, that I believe that we have now won the most games since the Boxing Day restart. Yeah, well, I'll come on to that tweet. I did include that one. Um, what I was going to say was Leno um, statistically gets pulled up fairly often that um, Leno has the best the best goals conceded versus expected goals conceded in the league. 
I don't know if you saw, but Brighton's XG last night was like 2.5. So they were expected to score 2.5 goals with the chances they had last night, and they scored none. So that's actually just going to push him even further out ahead of the chasing pack. I think he was already two or three expected goals ahead of everyone else. That's going to go to five or six now by the end of this game. So, um, you know, just the sheer volume of chances that they had and kind of how wasteful they were. Um, he, I mean, he was definitely man of the match. I think as um, he's at there says, Diop runner-up, um, I did include those tweets as well. I'll just move on to the next slide that you can talk about here. Hmm. And this one's from uh, Fulham Football Club, um, and it just says um, this team, uh, since the Premier League restart on Boxing Day, following the World Cup break, no team has won more matches than Fulham Football Club. Um, and that's uh, if anyone had thought Brent, uh, Brentford was doing well. Um, this is this is a great, a really, really great stat and says everything about uh, 2023 so far. And then yeah, there's another well, one from Fulham, uh, Fulham here, which says uh, the only one stat that matters. And obviously it's it's a, a little tongue in cheek analysis to um, Brighton, 65 percent versus 35 percent possession, 21 shots versus our five seven shots on target versus our two and and of course one goal to nil and in the end of course that is the only stat that matters yeah one of those old school football stadium chants of scoreboard um <laughs> and you know looking at looking at that other stat as well six wins since the world cup that's 18 points we've picked up there's also um the the chelsea draw in there we've almost picked up 20 points in you know, a month and a half, two months. Um, it's it's really staggering how well we've been playing in the last six or seven weeks. Um, and just a, a credit to what Marco Silva's been doing at, at Fulham and how well he's got us playing, even though I, I have to say we haven't performed that brilliantly, I, ha- I haven't thought, since the World Cup break. We've been without Mitro, who was superb in the last, um, sorry, in the first 12, 13 games of the season. And since he picked up that injury against, could have been against West Ham or against Newcastle in about the 15th week of the season, um, he's been completely off. And we're still picking up points and winning games. So, um, like I said, a cre- credit to what Silver's doing so far this season. And, um, and, a, this and is another just... positive reference to that other important stat that our non-Mitro players are scoring goals. Yeah, well, Fulham have more players to have scored for them than any other team in the Premier League this season with 12. That was after Solomon scored last week. So um, we're sharing the goals around, which is really important. Um, this is a bit of a mishmash of tweets, if you want to just go through them all. Yeah. So one's, this one's from uh, Sean Smith. Uh, it says, Polinia tackle, harsh yellow card. Tackling is a necessary ingredient of the game. When when we were watching this and when when that tackle was pulled up and awarded a yellow card. We both thought that was extremely harsh. And it, it's concerning that Polini has obviously got a reputation now amongst the, the the referees as a bit of a hard man and someone to watch. And I think that almost felt a little bit, not what's the right word, I want to say premeditated, but it was almost a bit reactive from the ref. He, he, he does go in very hard, but he's he's got the, he's got nowhere near the player He's got the ball completely, but 
it looked ugly the way he sort of dived in but that's it's concerning and as jack mentioned before you know we picked up five yellow cards then nil in the game and yet they committed more fouls and there were definitely some players getting pretty heated up but uh, anyway um there's another one here from tom rogers uh, ffc must say how good was Issa Diop today? And that's, you know, a, a fine um, credit to him there. Uh, lost count how many blocks he made in the first half. £15 million is looking like we stole him from West Ham. Terrific player. Absolutely. And he and, as Jack mentioned earlier, he and he and Reem were really great last night. I mean, Kenny Tete and Robinson didn't exactly have bad games. But I think the two centre-backs absolutely shone and got us out of trouble so many times with their interceptions in really difficult moments. So that was um, a well-deserved shout-out for Issa Diop. Um, and then there's another one here from uh, Ian McCabe. And he thinks, he says, uh, thanks for the six points, Brighton. No idea how we won that today. Mana and Vinicius should have been, been on sooner. For all that, for all the great performances we've had this season, how bloody lovely is it to win a game in that fashion? We never do that. Get in Fulham. And he's absolutely right. We talked about it just a moment ago. The number of times we've had that done to us against look, quality opposition, but still at the 11th hour when we were in the game, we were about to get a point. And they found something, typically found it with very high quality, but not that... Not that Mana Solomon and Vinicius's goal yesterday was not high quality, but it does show that if you want it enough, you make things happen and you get the points. Uh, and and that's why I included that little comment to reply from Lydia Campbell, who says, what is it they say? Big teams find a way to win, you whites. Uh, Solomon, you wee beauty. Yeah, and just a point on Ian's tweet there as well. Um, thanks for the six points, Brighton. was mentioned after the Nottingham Forest win that that was the first time in, in quite a long time that we've done the double over a team in the Premier League and beaten them twice in the year. We've now done that over Brighton as well. So we've got two doubles this season. So um, there's definitely the opportunity to get a couple more out for the rest of the year as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how we go against those sides that we beat earlier in the season if, if we can follow up and get another win. Uh, mm. I'll just move on to this final tweet that you picked out here as well. A bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure that there are many of these around a similar vein, but I, I did enjoy this one. This one's from Chester Wester, uh, and he says, Hello, West Sussex Police. I'd like to report a robbery. And it really did feel like a robbery as well. I know we... About 60, 70 minutes in, I was sitting there going, oh, geez, I just want this game to end and take the point and go home. Um, so to actually pick up all three points is just kind of shocking based on the way the game had, had played out so far. So it was a really good victory in the end for Fulham and uh, they're the ones that we need through the season to actually get into those European spots. You do need a bit of luck sometimes and... You do need to take your chances, and we took our chances, and that's why we're where we are at the moment in the league. So, look, that was uh, that was the game. I mean, it was a tough watch, let's be honest, for the first 87 minutes. 
Uh, Fulham didn't have as many chances as we would have liked, but uh, geez, it was a tough watch actually for the whole game because after we went 1-0 up, I just went, geez, we need to hold on to this. Um, just quick little shout out for for my top tip from last night, um, picking Fulham as a $6 winner. Uh, I hope a few people got on that bet. I know a couple of people in our Fulham WA group definitely did. Um, Dad, I know you, you put a few dollars on and uh, held yeah, your nerve as well not to cash one. out. <laughs> Jack was actually trying to get hold of my screen to tap the cash out uh, just before that final free kick, which, of course, uh, it was already suspended, so they wouldn't let me do it. But I did throw my phone on the sofa again. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And, yeah, uh, of course, I, I, I nearly... Cashed, uh, out, cashed out fractionally earlier than you did. Yeah, I nearly, uh, I nearly um, had a little spit up there as that ball went just wide, but... Um, Jeez, it did look uh, like it was in for a second, though. I, th- I thought I thought it was actually in, um, but no, I uh, happily bagged uh, five times there. Thank you very much, Sportsbet, for um, not following I'm, it close, closely enough. I'm sure uh, a few people will be following my top tip next week now as well, seeing as I'm a money making yeah. machine. Uh, I should keep <laughs> a little tally and see 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 how many dollars I make the make the followers. That's a reason enough yeah. to like and subscribe, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you, you'll, I'll be paying for, for all of the Fulham Australia fans uh, tickets out to Craven Cottage for, uh, well, hopefully tickets out to Wembley for the FA Cup final. A few more of those come in. Um, anyway, look, let's uh, let's finish up there, guys. Thank you so much for, for joining me today, Dad, and talking through this fixture. Uh, looking forward to yeah, talking pleasure. through the Wolves game coming up in the next uh, uh, next weekend on Saturday. Um, should be a really good game, and it's another opportunity for us to pick up points that we dropped earlier this year, um, and it could actually be the moment that we go over that magical 40-point mark for the first time in a very long time. It'll be nice, even though I, I don't think mathematically you're actually officially safe because there's the possibility that every other team can pick up points, but realistically, no team's gone down with 40 points. I think only one team in the history of the Premier League's ever gone down with 40 points, and the way this year is playing out, I can't see it happening. So I think we can all but safely say we are safe from relegation. And after the Wolves game and hopefully a win against them, we will effectively be mathematically safe from relegation as well. So um, really exciting times for Fulham and really excited to see, you know, who gets picked in the next game as well. If Solomon finally does get his start, if Mitro's back, it'll be um, a really interesting game going forward. So, Really looking forward to discussing that one. We're hoping to get that one out around Thursday, I'd say. Um, and hopefully Sam will be back to join us as well. I don't even know where he is, but he's exceptionally hungover today. Um, so I hope you enjoyed listening to this one, Sammy. Just a big shout-out to uh, William, Gerardo and Carl who've been following along live. They were following on the YouTube and on the Facebook. Uh, we also live stream on Twitter and Twitch. So uh, please do follow along. Please like, subscribe and share our content so that other Fulham fans find us uh, and start listening to the podcast and start enjoying it as well. Uh, We do it for the followers, do it because we like discussing Fulham and talking with everyone about it. And we want to keep doing it as long as possible. So really appreciate all your support so far, everyone. Um, So without further ado, I'll end this one. Uh, So until next time, come on, you whites.